Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Murder, murder. Welcome back to Ivy League Murders. We are here this week to update you on the latest on the Brian Walsh case. And Laura will not be joining me for this episode, but we will see her on the next one. So hope you enjoy. Bob, it's wonderful to have you back on the oh, show. Thank you for and uh, me. I feel like you need no introduction at this point. You know, you're, uh, you're, you're Bob Ward, right? Oh, and right. Uh, Boston 25 News, and you really have been, we're here to talk about the updates on the Brian Walsh case. And you have been there from the very get-go and, and broke some news on this particular local case that we're covering today. Explain to our listeners what happened yesterday in court, Thursday the 27th. What happened? Sure. Yesterday, Brian Walsh was brought into Superior Court in Dedham, Massachusetts, where he was arraigned on three charges, the most serious of which is first-degree murder. And he was indicted in grand jury over the last couple of months because we already had an arraignment back in January, but that was at the district court level. And that basically allowed them to hold him but now he's been brought up in the Superior Court, and this is the court that has the authority that if he's found guilty, ultimately convicted, where he can be incarcerated for the rest of his life on first-degree murder. So that's the significant thing. And what happened in court is we got more information about the evidence that's been collected in this case and more insight into what investigators have uncovered. There are some astounding things that have come out on this case, and I think some of the things we probably suspected, but mm -hmm. what are the sort of more, you know, uh, when we unpack this, what are the more sort of stunning things that have come out? I guess? Sure. In district court at that first arraignment, the thing that blew our minds was the internet searches and the details about the internet searches that were performed on the child's iPad in the house after Anna was missing. And those searches were things like how long before a body begins to smell that sort of thing, how to clean up, how long does it take for a body to decompose, that sort of thing. And that was pretty damning. But what was left unsaid was any hint of a motive. This time, we're getting a glimpse of a motive, and not just one motive, but two motives. So the, the headline for me was that there was severe marital discord taking place. The government is saying that Anna was preparing to leave him that he knew about this. He hired a private investigator to surveil her in Washington, D.C. The reason that she was preparing to leave him was that she was upset that he was going to go to 
federal prison for that other case with selling those fake Andy Warhols. And she was basically moving on with her life and she was taking the kids and she had a house down in D.C. and she was moving on. And they are alleging that she did, in fact, have a boyfriend down in D.C. And left unsaid, that drove Brian crazy. And there was some kind of explosion. One of the documents says that uh, she issued him an ultimatum. So that's one motive. The other motive is financial, that he was the sole beneficiary of uh, two life insurance policies that were worth close to $3 million. One policy, I think, was $2.6 million. And the other one was one that, that she took out herself a few years ago, and he was the sole beneficiary. And the other one went along with a job down in D.C., which was for just shy of half a million dollars. So, you know, that was what we were all waiting for, because I think people wanted to know why this happened and why was Anna murdered? Why does the government believe Anna was murdered? And those two things kind of go a long way to satisfying that. Let me back you up a little bit. Do we know what that ultimatum was? I read about this and it keeps on mentioning this ultimatum that she gave him. Do we know what that is? No, we don't. I mean, that's going to be one of those other unknown things. The only hint I think that we have is that on the 28th of December, the government says that she was having lunch with a friend down in D.C. I have the document here, which is, what, two days before two or three days before the murder. And just want to see if I can get it here. It's just so I can be 100% accurate. And she was uncharacteristically upset as she's having lunch or dinner with a friend down in D.C. Here it is. I'll just read it. On December 28th, 2022, Anna went out with a friend in Washington, D.C. And during the evening, she became uncharacteristically emotional and extremely upset. Anna believed Mr. Walsh was going to be incarcerated on his pending criminal case. Anna told her friend that she intended to relocate her three children to Washington, D.C. and was prepared to leave Mr. Walsh. That one paragraph, very important. And she flew back on the 30th to Boston. She left the Volkswagen in D.C. and she planned to return to D.C. on January 3rd. So the ultimatum, We don't know when that ultimatum was made. Did she make it on New Year's Eve? Did she make it after the party ended? We don't know. Mm. Because it's sort of a strange set of circumstances. In terms of what the ultimatum would be, we know he's going to federal prison or at least going to end up. So you you wonder in a way, it'll be interesting to find out more of the details of what that is. There was, I, I read also, Some mentioned that Brian had suspicions that she was having an affair, and it appears she was having an affair with somebody. Do we know any other details about this person? Was he a co-worker or? uh... We just know that he was somebody down in D.C. Uh, We had been hearing that this other person was also married to somebody else. That's something we're trying to flesh out as well. We had been hearing that for a while, but not reporting it because Mm -hmm. it's something you hear. And it was something that we were hearing early on from Anna's friends down in D.C., but no one would go on the record with that. State police were in Washington very early on in this investigation. I think that weekend when she was first missing over January 5th, that first weekend, and they were already down in D.C. working the case. Mm. And I started talking to uh, people down there about who she was with, who were friends with, who she was confiding in, and that would have only been a week after this event here on December 28th. So it was still very, very fresh. 
Yeah. And another document too in district court says that Anna actually spent Thanksgiving with this person in Dublin. So he just kind of goes with this idea that Brian was with the kids in Massachusetts. He can't leave Massachusetts because he's got that GPS or whatever monitoring device on him. He can't leave the state. And here's his wife going down to D.C., beginning her life, and then actually leaving the country with another man over a holiday while the kids are staying behind. Tracy Miner raised the specter that Anna Walsh might actually still be alive, that you can't declare someone dead for seven years, and that Brian shouldn't be held without bail because he's the one that took care of the kids. And then she said Anna would go away for the week and only come back on weekends to see the kids. And even when she came back, she wasn't really here. Sometimes she would go away. So having Brian stay in jail is not fair to the kids. So you've already got this kind of blaming the victim kind of undercurrent going on already. And now we're hearing about Anna being away for a holiday. So you kind of in my, you know, as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking about Brian and his anger and kind of fueling some kind of rage that allegedly really blew up on New Year's Day. Yeah, it's true. I have been curious about her working so far away with these three small children by in no means by no means do I mean to victim blame at all mm-hmm. but it was that's just a fact of their lives for whatever reason I think one of the more bizarre things to me Bob is this email that supposedly comes in about just right around the time that she disappears that she's been kidnapped can you tell our listeners a little bit about this crazy anonymous email that that came in? Yeah, I don't I don't think I really know much about that, Sarah. Oh, what okay. Email? What was this? Oh, yeah, yeah, no. This was apparently this was the police received some type of an anonymous email saying that we have Anna Wall, she owes $127,000. Unless she pays this, she's going to disappear. It's just another layer of this crazy, crazy story. Just from a purely evidentiary point of view, I wonder if they will be able to recover enough. I guess they may not have enough blood or, or tissue to establish that she is actually dead. But Well, that, that's going to be really interesting. And they did hint at one thing yesterday about a hacksaw that was found in the dumpster up in Swampscott, and they talked about how there was a a piece of bone found in the blade, and they're running DNA tests on that bone. And if that comes back positive for Anna, I think that may be what they they hang this on. But they also talked about one of those suits that he, um, he bought at Home Depot or Lowe's that was found up in, in the dumpster. There was a spot of blood on that, and that was found positive for Anna as well. On one of the Tyvek suits, Exactly. Right? So yeah, that's going to have to be how they, they, they establish that she's no longer with us. Gotcha. Because all her body, allegedly, went to Aving- the dumpsters in Abington and Brockton. Everything in those dumpsters went to Seamass, and those were incinerated. Yep. That's so right. they're not going to find anything there. Sure. So yeah. have, I mean, you, you think about it, there's not going to be a death certificate in this case. That could be a problem. Right, right. Hi, I'll tell you this, this is a, such a, uh, it really is such a tragic 
case. And I, and look, I, I, my hope, and I'm sure it's your hope as well, is that there, whatever their sort of marital problems were or whatever she had going on, that it doesn't sort of taint the actuality of what happened, of what he, yeah. what he did, you know, oh, right. or alleg- yeah. allegedly did, I said. Yeah. And all of it is going to be played out in court. I think mm-hmm. it all bets are off once this this trial actually begins. We're going to hear it all, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly, you know, between both of them. And the next court date is August 23rd, but right. do we know what's going to happen on the 23rd? Those are pre-trial conferences. There's a date for the 23rd, and I believe there's another court date in November. I want to say the 11th. I could be wrong about that, but there's two dates coming up, and he's supposed to be there at both of them. So I did get a question into him. I don't know if you saw that, but Good for you, Bob. We were all lined up. It's always a little cat and mouse game with these things. And Dedham has a, it's an old courthouse and it was built way before the modern media was even thought of. So where the the vans come in, unless they, they set up a line for us down the street, we're right there and there's no choice, but these inmates have to go right past us. So that's what happened. And he came out and you only have, five seconds or so that it takes for him to go from the back door into the van. I just threw a couple of questions and one of them I had to ask, and it's because of what Tracy Miner said about, you know, she might still be alive. So I asked him if he thought Anna was still alive and he just, you know, was stoic and just ignored us. But I said to him, I said, did you do anything to Anna? And he just nodded his head side to side. Nope. Nope. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just made the no motion side to side. But that was the only question he responded to. I said, did you do anything to Anna? And just side to side, no. Hmm. So that's it. Usually, you never know with these guys. I've I've had some, one time I asked a guy, did you do it? And the guy said, yes, I did. And I said, what'd you do? And I said, I killed her. I was blown away. You never know. That's why we- No, you never do. People are going to say, you know, know there's the obvious questions and it's like the most, we can make us in the media look stupid, but it's like you have to ask, and there he is. Why not, you know? Please, I work in in criminal defense, and they they, they never do it. They're always innocent, you know? I, mean, I know, you know, I know. But, the, you know, you just think, you know, here he is, and his wife's missing. You know, I figured if if he said, and that's why I asked him, do you think she's still alive? Is she still alive? You know? Yeah. But, I mean, then later on, I saw the pictures of him buying all the cleaning material. I wish I'd seen that first. Oh, I mean, those those, pi- those pictures are 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 they're amazing, I mean, aren't they? They're amazing. He can barely he can barely keep his head over yeah. the a, a number of cleaning supplies he has in this in this basket. If it, our listeners haven't seen the pictures, it's very damning. He's doing that, there's one set of pictures. He's doing that on uh, January second, the day after she's gone. The day after. Oh, yes. No, the day after. But in a way, with all of this new evidence that's coming out at the affair, the marital problems, in a strange way, I really do think the defense is going to go for involuntary manslaughter or second degree murder. And I think it just actually weirdly helps that, hey, he just lost it. And Mm -hmm. this is not first degree murder. I imagine I, you know, we've talked to the legal expert and I think that's the argument that's going to be. Yeah, I think that's that's going to have to be the only hope here. It's some kind of either diminished capacity, which I don't think is going to work, or it's not first degree. Right. Um, you know, but the hiring of the um, 
the, the private investigator. Of the private investigator trying to have her followed, um, trying to cover his tracks. Yeah, you know that's that's not a good look. And we'll see. We'll see how yeah. it goes. I mean, that's the one thing. It's like you can never predict how these cases are going to go. You just, sure. And how a jury's going to feel about something. Can I tell you something though, Bob? Sure. It's why I never work for private citizens because you get into situations. Imagine that PI now, and they're actually in Washington. I thought they were a local person. Mm -hmm. They are. They are married to this case for the rest of their lives. You know because, and to be. Anyway, it's just, it's a, it's a weird aspect. I, I have had, when you're on the inside of a case like that, it's a very strange experience because you've been surveilling somebody that eventually ended up dying. Yeah. It's a, thank you so much. Thank oh, you, you so much. It. Yeah, absolutely. Always, always a pleasure Bob, oh, to, to talk same to here. you. And, and um, likewise, we'll bug you if there's any sort of new things that come out and uh, no problem. And, murder, murder.